Halo, everybody. This is Calling All Halos. I'm your host, Sam Blum. I'm joined once again here by my co-host, Connor Grossman. Hello, Connor. Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing a little bit better than the uh, than the subject of our pod here, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, they that are... really doesn't mean you're doing all that well. No, I mean I'm 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 hanging in there. Um, but I mean I don't know. That's more than I could say about the Angels. They are they are really struggling. They are in a dark, dark place. And it, and it, it didn't have to be that way. Um, if you watch the game today, or I guess Sunday, depending on when you listen to this podcast, um. The Angels had a seven to three lead in the eighth inning, and it was kind of building off of last night where they were down nine to three. They came back and won. Really, one of the, the most exciting games I think the Angels have played in a long time. Snapped a six game losing streak. You know they were playing the team that they're chasing in the wild card, a, a chance to really make a, a dent, get back within four games of the playoffs. One out away, and they they completely blew it. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. They completely blew it. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think it's it's hard to. That's just a must win game. Um, and I don't think that I say that lightly, you know, I, I joke around about must win games all the time, but I, you look at this game and this series and it, it was right there for them. And, uh, they, they blew a must win game. It's hard to, it's hard to say must win game in July without smiling a little bit because it's not literally must win. But when you look in the context of where the angels are in the standings, especially, but also staring down, the trade deadline, every game in a sense is kind of a must win, especially when the teams ahead of you in the standings are losing and you have an opportunity to gain ground. And, you know, just to bring everyone up to speed, at least as we record this podcast tonight on uh, Sunday, July 16th, the Angels are six games out in the wild card. And it's not just being six games out because teams have obviously overcome six game deficits in the standings, but they're staring or they're standing behind Seattle, the Yankees, and Boston to get into the playoffs. And the Guardians are only a half game behind the Angels. So not only is it six games out, it's six games out standing in the middle of a crowd of very good teams. And uh, it's not looking good. No, and they're, all, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. But I don't, even, I don't even like really look at the injuries and say, hey, that's like why they're losing. I mean, I think you'd be in a better position, obviously, if you had Mike Trout, you had you know Brandon Drury in your lineup. But the hitting is not even what the issue is here. I mean, look at what they've done the last couple of games. I mean, they're obviously getting to these pitchers, and they are good pitchers. I mean, they faced Fromber Valdez yesterday. They faced Christian Javier today. Uh, and Javier's obviously struggled a lot recently. But, I mean, th- this is not like a, this. Not like the injuries are what's causing th- these losses. They are – they're just not playing well. Um, and they're not making good decisions. Uh, I mean, today – I mean, Phil Nevin was in a really bad position not having a lot of pitching available. But then I think you could also question, well, why was there nobody who was called up yesterday to make sure they were here today? I mean, like, you don't want to be in a position where you have to use Jaime Berea, a guy who's allowed, who at, coming into this at-bat against Kyle Tucker in the ninth inning, had allowed four home runs in 10 at-bats against him. And now has allowed five home runs in 11 at-bats. You don't want to be in a position where you're having to rely on Jaime Berea to get that out. Because that's that that, that is a failure, right? That's a failure of... Your manager, that's a failure of your general manager. That's a failure of everybody, in my opinion, to be in that position. Um, and the Angels are right now, they're 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 playing like a team that's a failure. Uh, there's just no other way to put it. They're they're completely um I'm not saying it's over. I'm not saying it's this this the season's done. 
because I don't want to look like an idiot if they if they make a miracle comeback. I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to sound like an idiot, but um, man, they don't look like a team that's going to make a run. I'll tell you that much. They don't. They don't look like they're they're. That, most of the games they're losing right now, they're losing by a lot of runs. Um, and uh, you know, they, they they fought last night on Saturday night. They they really showed a lot of guts and a lot of heart in a game like that, especially when you're down nine three, looking at staring down seven straight losses. But I mean, it's just. There's no sugarcoating this. I don't. I, I don't think it's fair to. I wouldn't be doing right by the people listening to this if we were to sugarcoat any of this. Uh, and 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 really, I, in a lot of ways, this is is. I think you're looking at um, a real inflection point for the entire franchise because we're looking at the trade deadline and obviously, and we're going to talk a lot about Otani in this episode. But um, I mean, that's what this is all about, right? Where do you, what can you do before this deadline? How can you show that you should you should be buyers? How can you show that you should you should go for it this year? Um, and I don't think they're showing it. Right. And when we talk about the last couple of nights where they had this incredible comeback against the Astros and then this incredible blown lead against the Astros, two games back to back like that, I think they're kind of the trademark of just an average mediocre team. You know, you ride the highs and lows and at the end of it, you look back and you're 500. You won as many games as you lost. And that's kind of what the Angels have been these last several years. And that's more or less what they're starting to look like this year. I mean, I know they're really sliding, and I'm sure at some point this year they're going to start trending the right direction. But is it going to be too little too late? Probably. That's how it feels right now, at least. The Angels have all the trappings and familiar makings of a mediocre baseball team. And and listen, I mean, mediocre might be generous at this point. I mean, I'm not – listen, like you said, there are ups and downs. It's 162 games, and there are ups and downs, and – you know, we could look back uh, three weeks ago, not even like literally like two and a half weeks ago. This team was in the second wild card, I think. I mean, they were they were right there. Um, and this Last is- time we recorded this podcast, the Angels were one game out of a playoff. Spot. Yeah, I know. That's my, my how things can change in a few weeks. It, it has been it's been a few weeks and, and we'll talk about why later on, too. Congratulations, Connor. That's just the uh, that's just the, uh, you know, uh, I guess the, the hint. But, you know, this is a, it's been. <laughs> Listen, it's been a long three weeks for them. They're not playing well, um, and uh, they don't really have. They just don't. I don't know. I, I you watch their games. I watch every one of them, obviously, and I don't. I, I come away feeling like they're going to lose most of them just because they they don't. They're they're not putting themselves in good positions. Um, they're not pitching well at all, and it just doesn't feel like a team that's that's that they keep talking about how they're. I mean, I, it reminds me of last year at this time when they were like losing 14 in a row. And then not only did they lose 14 in a row, then they just like, they just kind of spiraled. And like, even when they won a game here or there, it just, it, it, it wasn't, the it was stench, never, there was never momentum. Of losing. The stench of losing never really left them. It just kind of lingered. It lingered. And, and every time you'd ask about it, like, do you think you have a chance? Can you come back? Can you like, hey, we're, are you a good team? And it always, it was always like, yeah, yeah, we can do this. I mean, and you expect players and you expect coaches to say that. And then it's like, but like, Hey, I mean, like I, I was talking to someone earlier today as like, I like covering baseball because it's sort of like politics, you know what I mean? Because everyone's got like, everyone can look at things through a different way, a different prism, or you can, you can, you know, make some people can have a different opinion on one thing or the other. When you're covering baseball and you're covering a sport, like your record is what it is. Like the way you're playing, it's very easy to measure. There's nobody that can say, oh, this is really good. Or this is really, there's nuanced stuff, but man, the angels are 46 and 48. That's not good. That's not good enough. So you're, the the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. You are what your record is, and right now the Angels are a mediocre team, and they're not mediocre in August where the team is what the team is. No, they're mediocre in the middle of July, and if you're Perry Manazian, 
Sam, and Artie Moreno knocks on your door and says, I don't care what our record is. We have to be buyers. What what are Perry's priorities if he's going to make trades to bolster the team? And, you know, short of saying that he's going to look to improve everything, where where is he going to look? Maybe leak it to the media that you're in, under hostage. I mean, I mean, because it's just it's going to make him look bad, right? Like, and I mean, I think Artie's had a history of making GMs look bad, right? I mean, that's it seems like kind of his thing um, because he's so involved and because he's got he's not a baseball operations person necessarily and and he makes decisions based on feel and gut and you know when you're a billionaire and you made a lot of money sometimes that that feeling gut might be doesn't translate super well into these types of ventures and I, I mean the angels have made so many mistakes over the last decade to get themselves in this position i mean you could just pinpoint like all the different ways that this whole thing has kind of gotten to this moment and that's why i call it an inflection point um uh, but to really answer your question seriously i mean what do you do uh I mean, you have to listen to your boss, right? So there's that. Um, if you're buyer, I mean, I, it, we're still 13 games away from the trade deadline, so it's it could go a number of ways. Like if they're, let's say they they play well over the next 13 games, and they're like four games out of a playoff spot, way easier to justify, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's not likely. And in a lot of ways, you can argue that losing is like the best thing for them, just so just so they don't they don't like follow those worst imp- worst impulses and mortgage your entire future on like a 15 percent playoff chance um right but what does that look like does that look like making a desperate trade for marcus stroman just to try to plug a leak in the rotation is that acquiring like a late inning reliever is it both is it more is it less so many things they could use right yeah i mean they could use a reliever they could use a starting they could use like three or four starting pitchers i mean that's that's been the real downside for them and what everyone kind of thought might be their their strength this year is that starting rotation is has really not been very good um I mean, they could use a couple of bats. It's the catching situation. Who knows when Logan Ahapi's coming back? Chad Wallach hasn't gotten a hit in one month and a day. I mean, that's not, not even, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like he's over his last 30. So it's, it's, um, they've got, they've got some needs, right? Like they, first base, I mean, Mike Moustakis has done well, but you know, I mean, I, I think if you're thinking about your future and to any extent, you know, he's probably not going to be a big part of it. I would always at toward the end of his career um and so there's just like a lot of things that you, they could be they could be looking for um even that even in the outfield the spot where there was a lot of depth i mean now you got joe adele on the il you got mike trout on the il um i don't know how how comfortable they are like having mickey moniak face lefties as often as he, he looks like he's gonna have to so there's just uh, you know they have trey cabbage up who went three for three today i mean so uh maybe that's someone that will help out but if he's not good or if he kind of you know falls off a little bit then you're you're dealing with another hole so there's just there's a lot of like you know it feels a lot like last year it's all i'm gonna say it just feels a lot like they're 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 just kind of calling guys up that they otherwise wouldn't be using and it's not really like working out that well and and i think that they have a lot of things that they could look at the trade deadline to try to acquire and um it just won't really matter if you're like seven or eight games out like that's not there's no there's no two one two or even three trades that are going to like win that division for you or get you in the wild card at that position right acquiring two months of a starting pitcher or really any player it's like trying to fix a leaking ship with scotch tape it's just it's not going to happen you can hold back the water maybe a second longer but it's coming in anyway and that's why i think if perry is told to buy or at least not sell it's going to be a particularly curious moment for him and the franchise and how he handles it. I 
I don't know. I like the rest of everyone else in baseball or watching the angels intently because whatever they decide to do or not do is going to be of intense scrutiny. What what I want to know is like, what do you like? You're, I, I think a lot of people have like various opinions on, on this big topic because it's the topic, right? Like what are the angels going to do with Otani? So you have a different perspective than maybe I do as just someone who's there, but I'm curious, like what, like, should they trade him? Like, should they, should they, I mean, that's the question. Where we are right now, should the Angels trade him? What do you think? I think that it's really difficult to answer that question. And I'll ramble for a moment and say the two things that are going through my mind. The first thing is, as a baseball fan, I really want the Angels to come out and say they're going to trade Otani or at least believe that it's a possibility because the intrigue is going to be through the roof. There has never been a trade deadline chip like Shohei Otani. There's never been a free agent. You say Giants fan. (laughs) (laughs) But a baseball fan in general, like even if the Giants are out of it, I'm still interested if big names are going to be moved to the deadline and there's no bigger name than the potential of Shohei Otani getting traded. So the baseball fan in me would love the buzz and the intrigue and the day-to-day rumor mill that would follow that as agonizing as it would be for Angel fans. Now, on the flip side, I can also imagine the Angels front office, specifically Artie, specifically Perry, not wanting to wear the scarlet letter or be stamped forever as the GM or the owner that traded Shohei Otani. Like that is not a label that anyone wants stuck on them or near them at all. You know what's the one thing that's worse than that though? What? Being the GM or owner that lets Shohei Otani walk without a playoff appearance and for nothing. Because that's that's even worse. And for all the things that the Angels have done over the years, and the reason why I don't think they're going to train him, there's just there's no track record of ever making that decision that we're going to we need to rebuild or that we need to make we need to make prudent choices for the future. So, do I think they should trade him? If this is the way things are looking right now, yes, I do because you know I, I don't I listen. He's he's indicated one thing clearly. He's been very vague about a lot of what he wants in his future, and I don't know if he's seriously considering coming back to the Angels, but he has said he wants to be in the playoffs. And you can read it on his face, man. He's not, this is just, it. these losses are are tough for him, as I'm sure they are for anybody there. But, you know, not, not everyone's a pending free agent. He's got the options and he's got, you know, every team in the sport would would pay what, their last dollar for this guy to be on their team. Um, I, I don't know if he'll come back. I really don't. I mean, the Angels have not proven that they can win with him. Um, I just I think there's a big distinction between should the Angels trade Shohei Otani and will they trade Otani? Oh, yeah, yeah, should they trade Otani? If the trade deadline is tomorrow, I can confidently say, yes, they should trade Otani. But in my heart of hearts, I do not believe they will trade Otani because I just don't think the as as unreasonable as it may seem and looking at the track record of the Angels while Otani's been on the team, I still don't think they want to be the team that gave up Otani, that gave up on this season, and that's to say nothing of the previous many seasons that, you know, they've seemingly just thrown the towel in on. The, the ironic thing, I mean, like, sometimes you gotta, like, giving up is, is it doesn't, I, I don't think it's like, it doesn't, it shouldn't have that negative connotation. I mean, I think that, like, at times, like, it's just, it's the, you gotta be smart, right? Like, as a, you're, you gotta act in the best interest of winning. And I don't always know if that's like, I, I don't always know if that's the way that they're operating. And I, and if they aren't, if it, I, or if it's just like a confusing, a, maybe like a confused way of thinking that like this is how you get to win is 
is just like always going all in on the thing that that is what's going to end up killing you. I mean, you know, it's you sit here and watch a guy like Anthony Rendon who just like doesn't play baseball anymore, really, and and you see the failures of of like making these types of decisions like tangibly right there in front of you because this guy is making thirty eight million dollars this year, next year, the year after, and the year after that. Uh, and he doesn't, he's been on the injured list three times and suspended once. I mean, and like, you're just seeing these mistakes and the, and like, and just, and just this mindset play out in this way, very tangibly right in front of you. And why is there not a part of the angels front office or ownership that says, you know what, like, what we need to do is to like reset a little bit and to reset the mindset and to think about the best way to build a team that can win long-term. And honestly, you have a golden goose in some ways with Shohei Otani. You have a way to absolutely expedite that process immediately because some team is going to, there's going to, you can create a bidding war for him. And in that sense, you can get quite a bit for him. That's why I think they should really strongly consider it. I mean, do they want to win next year? I'm sure they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. what I, I think. I think it's a totally backwards way of thinking. I think there's not much logic that goes into defending, not trading Otani because the angels do not seem destined for the playoffs it does not feel at all likely that they're going to retain Otani through free agency. And I also honestly don't think that trading him away for the last two months of his deal with the angels would significantly reduce the chances the angels have of retaining Otani. I really don't think that moves the needle at all. It's a pure guess, pure speculation, but I, yes, I would agree that logically the angels should trade Otani. And again, as a baseball fan, the buzz and the intrigue and the bidding war and the players that the angels could potentially get back. I mean, it's definitely a move from a front office perspective. Like you cannot screw this up. If you are going to trade Otani, you have to be sure as you possibly can that the players you are going to get back are the foundation of your next winning team. Like you cannot afford to screw it up. But I also would say you cannot afford to just sit on your hands and hope that things magically turn around the next day because it sure doesn't seem like that's happening you know the, the crazy thing is one of the few moves that i have agreed with already over the years is he's hired a good general manager here he's hired someone in my opinion that will actually get a trade that could could do that for them in my opinion uh yeah. he's perry's got a good record track record with trades i mean moniac uh has that was that's an all-timer of a win right there for Syndergaard last year um, I didn't really understand the getting rid of uh, Iglesias, but I'm guessing that had a lot to do with the, the impending potential sale that we were all not quite privy to yet a year ago. So I mean, there's there's been a couple of trades that have maybe didn't make as much sense, but I, I do believe that if you give Perry the resources and the autonomy to make these decisions, you might actually come out with something good, right? Like that's that's I I, I trust that 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 would happen. That being said, I don't know if it's up to him. And, uh, right. you know, it's, it's, you, you're right. You got to have, you, if you get someone back, you got to have that, that, who you get back has to be the cornerstone. I mean, of, of what will get you to wins. And that could be a good major league player who's got years of control plus a top 100 prospect. I mean, I think that's, that's quite a haul. I feel in a lot of ways the return for Otani should, in theory, reflect the trades that you wish you could make as a buyer and that maybe you don't get all established major league players, but maybe you get a controllable starting pitcher. Maybe you get an infield prospect. Maybe you get a power hitting prospect. In theory, you're kind of bringing in the next wave of talent that's going to plug the holes that you already see. 
I think that's a good way to think about it. And I think if Perry is allowed to do the job in the way he should be able to do his job, he should be able to start that bidding war right now, kind of get the best and final offers from teams as we creep closer to the trade deadline and present them to Artie and say, this is what's out there if we trade Otani. In, I'm willing to believe that that's going on very covertly, but I also wouldn't rule out the possibility that Artie's already shut him down and said he's staying. So you can say whatever you want, but he's not going anywhere. Yep. I mean, I don't know. It's that that's the big one. It's like, and, there, and this is the thing is we're going to see so many people like, you know, angels are listening to this or, you know, the angels are not going to do this. And you, I mean, we've already seen them from the, you know, national writers or whoever, or just people that want to speculate. And we're going to see so much of that. I mean, I, if I'm, if I'm cautioning you, the listener about all of it, nobody really knows, right? Like nobody, I don't think the angels know quite yet. And I don't think Otani knows. And I don't know if Otani is even really thought super strongly about if he's willing to come back or if he's willing to go to another team or whatever it might be. It's, it's just the, the, these things are, are going to play out in weird ways with lots of rumors, lots of people that just want to, you know, create a, Right. And any fan, any listener out there that's read an article about a short list of teams that could or might trade for Otani or a short list of teams where they might sign Otani free agency, nobody knows anything. This is speculation with a capital S. So while you might get excited that, you know, maybe the Angels are on like the free agency list or me as someone who follows the Giants, maybe the Giants are one of the top free agent destinations. Nobody knows anything. Everyone is guessing more than, you know, people already guess about things that are being reported or things they may have heard from sources. Like, I truly believe Otani is one of the greatest mysteries that we've seen in baseball in a long time. I truly don't think that anyone knows anything. Yeah, no, he is. He That's such a good way of putting, uh, describing him because that's what makes, and I think, so, I mean, obviously his, his incredible ability, he had his 34th home run of the season today, which tied his home run total from all of last year. I mean, it's, this guy's probably going to go for 50, 55, if not more, at least. I mean, it's just, you know, that, but you're right. That's what makes him so special on a voice is that we just don't know anything about him. Like he's, you know, we can be picked up on bits and pieces of his personality here and there, but he's such an enigmatic person and player and it's and it, when you when it comes to this this moment he's not signaled anything really i mean he really hasn't at the end of the day people can pick and choose sentences you know he said he was frustrated after the game the other day and i saw someone reply to my tweet and they were like espn's gonna run with an article today saying otani's frustrated with the angels and that's that's kind of how the i'm not shutting out espn i'm just saying that's the media ecosystem when it comes to this guy like he says one little thing and then another, it picks up and it gets retweeted a thousand times and then it gets aggregated. And it's like, and he knows how this operates. He knows how this works. And it's just like, I think it just, it becomes its own world. It becomes its own life of its own. And, and, and uh, that's, it's what makes it cool and crazy and mysterious, but it also could be frustrating and exhausting in a lot of ways. And, um, and I honestly, even when all of this plays out, you know, will they, or won't they trade him? Where is he going to sign a free agency? I still think after it's all said and done, we're still not going to know that much about him. And all we're going to be able to go off of is his actions. And, you know, let's say he signs a $600 million contract with like the Seattle Mariners. Like we're we're not really going to learn much from that other than he wanted to play for the Mariners. And I imagine he's not going to shed a lot of light on his decision other than saying, I really like the city, the team. I'm excited to be here for the next long while. And I hope we win the world series. Like what more is he going to say than that? Oh, that's, that's almost definitely going to be it. 
Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you, you've watched it. You've, you, you've read enough of my articles to so know how these go. <laughs> right. He's not going to sh show much of who he is as a person. And all we're going to be able to go off of is his actions. And honestly, the trade deadline is completely out of his hands. And so will we learn anything through that? No. All we're, what will, we, will we learn anything about Otani through that? No. What we will learn is a lot about Artie Moreno and the way he's running his franchise. That's a hundred percent accurate. The only thing I would say, maybe it's interesting is like, I don't know if he's completely got no say in the trade deadline, because in a lot of ways, like he could control a lot. If he were to say to the angels, look, I want to come back. I mean, that could impact that. Could, and if he were, or if he were to say to them, listen, I'm not coming back. That's where he has a lot of power in the situation. Um, or if you were to kind but of go if, I, if I'm Otani's agent, I'm not going to ever tip my hand from a leverage well, perspective. Why would you already want to rule you, a team out before free agency even well, begins? The only way, the only reason why he might is if it's really important for him to be a part of a winning team and have a chance to win the World Series this year, the best way to do that is to say, I'm not gonna resign here. Um and and that would be really the only like true leverage he'd have on that. But then again, like you said, if he does, if he kind of use, utilizes that leverage to get to a winning team this year, then he would be putting himself in a position where he'd be losing out on leverage and free agency with the Angels, who I assume are at the very least going to make a, uh, you would assume a competitive offer. Um, now I that I don't want to assume fully because already Moreno has never really spent that much that it would you know it would require him to really make that competitive offer considering that he's already paying Rendon and Trout. But um, right, he's shown, Artie has shown he'll spend at the top of the market, but who knows? I mean, there's going to be a whole new top of the market when it comes to Otani. He's shown he'll spend at the top of the market, but I think people discount the fact that he was one of the four owners that initially came out against the, uh, that like luxury tax elevation. And I, that's because he doesn't want to go over it, right? Like he doesn't, he views that as like kind of a salary cap in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you can even look at their moves this season uh, when they traded for uh, Eduardo Escobar, they gave up two pretty decent prospects because they didn't want to pay like, I think it was like $9 million. I don't remember exactly how much money was left on a salary. I think it was 9 million, but they didn't want to pay that. And so as a result, the Mets were able to get two decent prospects out of them. So, I, and I think a lot of that is because, they didn't want to go over the limit. They didn't want to go over the limit. They didn't want to come close to the limit. Like he views this in a lot of ways as a salary cap. And so if he views it that way, like are we hundred percent sure he's willing to go over it and that he said he is, but I don't trust him. Quite frankly, yeah. I don't think he's given fans or observers any reason to trust or just believe he's going to act in kind of a, a linear fashion, a predictable way. And that's why we're even having the discussion that we are, because we have no idea what's going to happen. Because when it comes to the Angels, they zigzag all over the place, whether it's their literal wins and losses or the moves and the strategies deployed in the front office or the decisions made at the top by Artie. There's literally no predicting what's going to happen. And honestly, maybe the only common thread in all of these decisions that have been made over the last decade plus is that there's not a lot of logic that comes out of them. Yeah, I mean, and you look at this year, there is there is a logic to it. They're desperate, right? I mean, uh, you know, we're looking at Sam Bachman went on the IL the other day, Ben Joyce on the IL, Chase Zilseth had like, uh, you know, basically lost his velocity and had to go back down to AAA, even though, uh, you know, he would be pitching well when he first came up. And you look at it and I'm just like, what do, what do these three guys have in common? Jose Soriano struggled a little bit. These are all, uh, Victor Medeiros came up. They basically like, a lot of these like good young pitching prospects they've had on their system who are in some cases starters, some cases relievers, they've kind of rushed them up and just like put them all in this one position to be like 
you know, at leverage relievers. And uh, I don't know if it's, I mean, it, it could be very irresponsible. I mean, there's, that's, I think that's a legit, I'm not going to say that they're being irresponsible. I'm just saying that I think that there's, there is a way to look at this where you're not, there's no way to be hundred percent sure these are the right decisions that's been made because Bachman went on the IL, you know, Joyce on the IL and, and Silseth lost a lot of his velocity and had to kind of like go reset. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Medeiros wasn't that good when he first, when he came up. So they sent him back down. I mean, it's just, I think that, that they are in a position where they're making decisions. I'm not always so certain they're making the right decisions. And I don't always know if they're making decisions in the best interest of their future in the best interest of their prospects and just to the best interest of winning long-term. Right. I feel it's something I like to bring up when we talk about the angels and baseball really in general is the want to operate from a position of strength, whether it's in trade negotiations or whether it's in the day-to-day roster moves you make, where you don't feel like you're plugging a leak, but you feel like you're adding on top of a team that's already really good. And the angels have been walking this tightrope with all of these aggressive prospect call-ups that they've made pretty much all year where they're kind of panning for gold, hoping that someone is going to work out beyond their you know wildest dreams in a sense and establish themselves as like a high level high caliber major league player and they're paying the price because the flip side of the coin is that these players don't exceed expectations and actually fail to meet them and now you're left with the consequences of that which is a depleted farm system and players whose major league futures are extremely uncertain yeah every every week there's be every year it feels like they're just like crossing their fingers and like praying to God that like, it's, oh, it's all going to work out this year. Like it's all just going to happen. And they never just take the steps. And that's why I'm, this is what we're talking. It's all, all connected, right? Like this is like, you don't trade Otani and you're like, what, like, what are you, what are you praying for? You're praying that he's going to resign here. Like, like you just, you, and then, and that somehow next year will be different, right? Like, even though now all your players are a year older. Right. Even if he resigns and you're left with mostly the same team and an extremely inflated payroll, like, you're really in a worse position than you are right now. That's the thing. I mean, it's, you could argue it's not even the, it's not even the good thing for them if he resigns. I mean, it's, I mean, there've been some, I've heard some stuff. I mean, like, what, wouldn't it be crazy if they could like, like literally just like package Trout, Otani and Rendon into a trade and ask for nothing in return? Would it, would teams even do that? I mean, uh, maybe, but it would be requiring teams to take on a lot of salary and two players that, you know, I have long-term deals that, you know, are both been shown to be injury prone the last few years. So it's just, it's, uh, I don't know. There, there's just, I think they're just always hoping for the best and not expecting the worst when you have to, you have to operate like a team that, that, you know, that, that, that is expecting bad things to happen because that's what I think the good teams expect bad things to happen and prepare for them. And don't just say, Hey, like, like, let's just hope this works. And let's right. just, let's just, let's just always never rebuild. Let's not do the little things that we, the little things that count, the things that really matter, like not rushing up prospects that you desperately need to, to, to perform well in order for you to be able to be a good team. Like that's just the position they put themselves in. It's not all Perry's fault. He got handed a, uh, a deck of cards here with like a really bad farm system and has been trying to rebuild it. And, you know, and, that, and when you try to rebuild it, you know, you end up having to use some of your prospects a little too quick. I think that's just part of it, especially if you're trying to win. Especially if you never say to yourself, hey, like, let's reset here for a year. Let's like let these guys develop. Let's put out a team that maybe isn't going to be the best team in baseball. But you know what? Maybe in a couple of years, we'll be in that position. And that's what happens with these really good young teams. Look at the Orioles. Orioles are a great example of this. You know, they they, they keep they keep it feels like every week they have another really ready primetime prospect to call up. The Reds, mm-hmm. 
Look at all these great young players that they're able to call up now. That is what happens when you're a little bit patient and you recognize that you have a plan and it never feels like there's a plan here. The Angels are like a 10, 15-year-old car that you've had in your life that you just keep pouring more and more money into because you think it's cheaper than going to the store, going to the dealership and buying a completely new car. And they just keep, you know, replacing expensive parts. And then they look back and realize, oh my God, look how much money we poured into this average car that keeps breaking down on us. When five years ago, we could have just turned it in, dealt with a crappy car for a couple of years, saved up and bought a shiny new toy that all of a sudden drives yeah. great and is going to set you up for success for the next several years. But and instead, just keep pouring more and more money into the same average car that keeps breaking down and shows the same problems that it always has. And now I think it's, it, listen, if they get to this trade deadline and, and or if they get to the end of the season rather and it's a failure, I mean, that's, that's, that's the car. That's, that's that car just breaking down. This is no other way. That's, that's, that's what that is. If you get, if you get to the end of the line here with Trout and Otani and never making the playoffs and, you know, he, he walks or whatever, and you didn't get anything for him and you just had a failure of a year. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that's the way it's trending to some extent. Then that's that failure. And, and I hate to be the doom and gloom blum, but that's, you know, it's what it is, right? Like they need some doom and gloom, right? They need some realism. They need to not have the, you know, we, we talk about toxic positivity and it's like, you feel it. It's palpable at times. I do think that, Phil Nevin's really gotten a lot better over the course of this year at, you know, leveling with the fans um, about when things are good and bad. Um, but uh, I do feel like there's, there's this, like this whole idea that like, just, just being honest at times, it's like, it's like this, this thing you don't want to have to deal with. But so like I said earlier, you, you know, your wins and your losses, they, you, you can be toxically positive all you want, but the record is going to be what the record is going to be. So. To put a cherry on top of this wonderful, mysterious Sunday, if I'm asking you, I am asking you today, July 16th, if the trade deadline is tomorrow, are the Angels going to trade Shohei Otani? I don't think they will. Okay. I don't, I, think, I don't think they I agree. will. I think the odds favor no trade as of right now. Yeah. But uh, we will see. We have got... A long, treacherous road of two weeks until uh, the trade deadline is going to spur some sort of action, perhaps inaction, but likely some kind of action. Well, and we'll come back with another episode. But before we go, it has been three weeks since our last episode, and there's a very good reason for that. Mr. Connor Grossman over here, my good friend, he got married one week ago yesterday, and he is still potting with us here a week later. So I first off just want to say congratulations to you, my friend. We've spoken obviously off air about this, but I know the loyal listeners, the con heads, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be over the moon about this. So congratulations. And it was a, it was a lovely, it was a lovely time. Connor, he um he of Jewish faith had to step on the the uh, Oh come on, you're not even gonna let me share that with oh, our go ahead, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Um <laughs> first of all, thank you. I appreciate you flying up to the Bay Area to come to our wedding it was an incredible time come overwhelming in all the right ways and as sam was alluding to uh toward the end of the wedding ceremony um you know i'm i'm jewish i was raised jewish and uh custom tradition in you know jewish weddings is that the groom steps on the glass in kind of a celebratory moment and that's exactly 
what we did during our wedding. But, you know, when that moment came about in the ceremony, I looked down and had a brief moment of panic where I thought everything up to this point in the ceremony has been rehearsed and gone exactly as I expected. But you don't practice stepping on the glass. And so I looked down and thought, well, here goes nothing. Raise my right foot, stomp down with what I thought was all my might, and the glass didn't budge. No break. You should have heard the gasp. <laughs> I've, been, I've been told I looked into the crowd with my eyes as wide as they could be, just a stunned expression on my face. And I'm sure that's exactly what happened. I you know, truly blacked out in that moment. And then um, I raised my foot again and stomped down with, you know, as much might as I could and a little bit more. And uh, thank God, thank God the glass broke that second time. But usually it doesn't take a second time. I've never seen it take a second time. Uh, you know, I think it's it's not weakness in a lot of ways. If you know Connor, I mean, like, it's not weakness. It's just it's just perfect. It just perfectly fit your whole essence and being to miss completely with. It's just, it was too perfect. It was just a great moment. And, I did uh, not, I did not miss the glass on no. the first attempt. I went straight down on it and it didn't budge. And no. uh, to Sam's point, he's on to something in that if I had to pick anyone in my life who would need to step on the glass twice in their wedding, I would strongly consider picking myself. And <laughs> sure enough, that's what happened. But nonetheless, it makes for a great story that I'm sharing with all of you. And uh, it was just a wonderful day that yes. I will absolutely never forget. And I'm glad, Sam, I got to share it with you. Yes. Congratulations, Connor, and his beautiful wife, Jackie Freire. And uh, thank you all for bearing through our uh, you know, little fun personal story here and for listening to this great episode of Calling All Halos. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And uh, if you did, please go uh, you know, leave a comment, give us five stars, just rate us whatever you think we, you know, however we do. Just let us know and uh, listen again. We'll be back before the trade deadline and um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk this all out because, you know, this is a busy time and uh, certainly an exciting time for the Angels or at least a fascinating time for the Angels. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care.